Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode. And it's Friday, and so we are going to continue what we talked a little bit about last week, and we are going to dig into the birth of Christ. Now, this episode will will, will air October 21st, so we're uh, two months out from Christmas, so... You might think to yourself, well, why are we talking about the birth of Christ when we're far away from, you know, the, the actual event that we celebrate? Well, many reasons. One, I, I wanted to get into Matthew, so we have to contend with the birth, you know, immediately into the, the first chapter. And two, there should be a time throughout the whole year that we talk about his birth because it's such a magnificent moment for us to partake in and be reminded of. Because if Christ didn't come to us in the form of, uh, of a baby, then we we would we would have no hope. So this whole this whole passage is all about hope and uh, and and truth and something to cling to, a future, a promise. So we talked about chapter one last week. We went through all of the names and the genealogy. I was it, it, I don't know if I said it on the show, but. Uh, I had to pause between every name after the deportation passage and I had to pause the recording, listen to the word or the name being spoken and then practice that and then record that and then pause again. So I have like a whole section of truncated breaks in my uh, show editing. So uh, I I think I did all right. I I hope it came out uh, smooth and I hope you were able to enjoy that and uh, I will advise you, don't take my pronunciation if I may have, you know, f- messed up a word. Don't take that as that is how you're supposed to pronounce it. It's just how my tongue works. And I blame it on that because there's just some things in the Greek and Hebrew I cannot speak. And it takes me a lot of repetition. And so eventually we'll get there. Uh, that's something down the road. And, and hopefully over time with the show, uh, I'll be able to do more 
practice and then we can dig into some of the more Greek and Hebrew context of the show. Maybe the next time through the Bible, because we're, we're eventually going to hit all 66 books. So maybe the next time through, we'll actually dig into some of the Greek and Hebrew and we'll explain it and we'll do a lot more in-depth study of particular books in that manner. Like, I think looking at the Hebrew of Genesis would be a phenomenal study. Uh, and it would be probably way more complex than what we've really ever done on this show. But I think it just kind of came to me because I, I had to do an assignment for for ministry, for seminary. And I had to go and take a, a word out of Genesis, could have been any, any, any word, and I had to argue its importance from the Hebrew perspective. And so I had to go and track down a particular word that I thought was impactful. And so I looked at Genesis 1 and looked at the word day in Hebrew, and I wrote a whole uh, essay on how that word has been used, not just in Genesis, but in the rest of the Torah, and how day is an impactful and draws us to the meaning of a literal 24-hour day. And so I, you know, we, we might do stuff like that down the road. I, again, this show is an open book to what we could possibly or potentially have in store for you as a listener in the coming years. And Undying Light's not going away anytime soon. So I hope you are enjoying it. And please, if you are, share this with other people if you are not able to support us financially. But if you want to show your support, share us, tag me on whatever platform you're on, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, tag us and share it and leave us reviews, encourage people to listen to it because I find that's the best way to um, you know, grow this show. And so we've got on average about 35 to 4,000 downloads per month on this particular show. And that varies, you know, it kind of fluctuates uh, based on the seasons and things like that. And that's totally normal. But I would love if we could grow that to four consistently or five or even get it up to 10,000 listens a month. And and it just is, you know, comes from everybody who listens to share it with somebody. So if you have the opportunity, share it. And I will do my best to make clips and things like that on available for you to share and and maybe if it if I don't have something and you want to just go to Spotify and just share the show or iTunes and share the show, that would be uh, wonderful. So that's you know the best thing that we can do is word of mouth, right? You uh, put it out to the listeners and allow them to share it if you so deem so it's worthy to be shared. So if you do have the opportunity to support us financially, then by all means you can do so through the Acast uh, promotional link. That's in the show notes, or you can go to, you know, you can Google us and go to Acast and look for us there and support us that manner. But Patreon gives you a little bit more flexibility, and it's it gives you much more uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, if you would. Acast limits me on just the show. Patreon, I can upload documents, and you'll, so you'll get sermon notes. You'll have the early release of the show. And, and if you subscribe there, I release that without commercials or anything in it. So you get the raw copy of the show and the, uh, you know, and then many other stuff, you get access to the Bible study, you get access to all of that, um, behind the scenes stuff that we do. So you can join us on Patreon, dollar a month, $10 and some cents a year. If you want to pay the whole year up front, 
or you can uh, donate more if you if you feel this ministry is impactful for you and you want to by all means. But that is, you know, the means that I can turn and give back even more to the community and hopes that uh, you guys are enjoying the content. So please, by all means, if you have the opportunity to support us, do so in whatever fashion you're able to. And also, the other thing I really want to make a big uh, attention spotlight on before we begin the actual show content is Logos. We just released Logos 10, and I have been using it in my office for uh, probably three or four weeks now, and I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a great build upon Logos 9. So uh, not a ton of significant changes, but there have been some. The UI is a little bit better. I think it runs smoother as a as a program now than it did in Logos 9. The uh, mobile app is really, really, really well done. I am very impressed with the, the amount of work that they've put into the mobile app. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm going to... For my patrons, do a, a, a tutorial uh, and walkthrough of, of how I use Logos. And hopefully, I might even just do an episode or a live on Instagram or something where I do that for the general public, for those who are interested. If you have questions, DM me. I'd love to talk to you about it. But you can get your copy, uh, logos.com forward slash undying light, and you'll get free books and all the sorts when you sign up if you're a new customer. And if you're existing, you get big discounts upgrading from eight or nine to logos 10. And even if you have an older version, six, seven or uh, older, you'll get big discounts coming to logos 10. So I love it. It, like I said, I think the UI is just so much more smooth and it just works really nice. I can load things much quicker. I have access to all of my library within seconds. Uh, the install was very easy. So very happy with that, uh, with that, uh, commitment to logo. So we talked last week on the show, uh, as we worked through the back half of chapter one in Matthew, that we were going to kind of jump over to Luke chapter two, and we were going to use Luke two, uh, up until verse 22. So one through 21, and we're going to look at the birthing narrative of Jesus Christ. And we will see how Matthew lines up with what uh, what is Luke talking about here, and we will dig into it more. Now, interestingly enough, if you know your 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 Bible history a little bit, you'll know that Luke was not a traveler with Jesus, and so he would has been uh, linked more to a disciple of Paul. And uh, as he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, he would have taken all of the knowledge that he has relayed to us from Paul directly. And we know that Paul was given this revelation from Jesus personally on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And we don't know how long Jesus administered to him on that in that little frame. We don't know if you know all the little schematics and every little jot and piece that Jesus had taught to him there or if the knowledge came from that instance and the following events that took place, that's a whole discussion for another time. But for today, we're going to look at Luke 2. We're going to look at the birth of Christ. I do want to rewind slightly uh, to chapter 1 because I want to highlight just a few things. We're going to look at verses 26 through 38. 
And then we're going to look at uh, just briefly 39 through 45. And the reason I wa- I say that is because we have this uh, this detailed history, essentially. And in fact, we can all go all the way back to verse uh, 5 and, and piece together John the Baptist being foretold. But we're going to bypass that for now because we're not working in the Gospel of Luke. And we're primarily going to just focus on the, the big high-level picture. So let's look at uh, verses 26 here through 38. We're just going to briefly talk about it before we dig into the rest. So this is the birth of Jesus foretold. This kind of sets the scene for us as we move into Luke chapter 2 and fill in some of these gaps from Matthew chapter 1. This is what Luke writes. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <clears throat> so we have the we have this angel visiting Mary, and we can start to uh, kind of piece together, you know, the overall narrative of how this comes to place in in the Gospel of Matthew. The angel doesn't appear to Mary. At least that's not what Matthew records. Matthew, however, records a similar appearing to Joseph. And Joseph is given the similar instruction that his wife will bear a son and and they will call his name Jesus. And so we we see that between these these two narratives, between these two uh, pieces that an angel of the Lord visited both Mary and Joseph and gave them the same prophecy, the same word, the same thing to happen. That is, she will come and be pregnant and she will bear a son and their duty is to call him Jesus. Now, in Luke, it tells us in verse 32, it says, he will be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of David. In Matthew, it tells us that they shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew gives us the, <clears throat> the text from uh, Isaiah 7, 14, 
where Matthew quotes, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Mary is going to name him Jesus, and Matthew records this uh, kind of prophecy, if you would, uh, the fulfillment of this prophecy. And really what we're getting out of it is two things. We know that Jesus will save his people from their sin, and we know that be, his name will be Emmanuel. Part, you know, and, and we have many names assigned to Jesus, right? The Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, all these, all these titles given to Jesus. And they will call his name Emmanuel because they will recognize that God is with us. That is what Emmanuel means. It means that we have God in the flesh walking with us. And so some neat prophecy that kind of funnels in from both <clears throat> pieces here from Luke and from Matthew. So as we unpack this little narrative from Luke a little bit further, we find very similar instances, the same instruction given to Mary and this as the same instruction given to Joseph over in Matthew. So it's not that these were uh, two separate instances or one happened and the other didn't, as a lot of uh, skeptics would like to argue, well, why does Luke record Mary being spoken to, but Matthew records Joseph? Well, there's a contradiction there. No, there's not. You're, you're seeing an event take place and you're getting the, you know, a second perspective. It's, it's the, it's the analogy of the car accident. When you have four people on a street corner on each corner individually, and an accident happens in the intersection, each of the four people will have a different story to tell because they saw it from a different angle. So Luke is recording the incident with Mary and re recording exactly what the, the angel spoke. Where it lines up with scripture is that the Mary is instructed by the angel of the Lord to do exactly what Joseph was instructed by. So then we move into 39 through 45 and we have uh, Mary visiting Elizabeth. And I find that this is a beautiful little text. It doesn't really have much to do with the, the narrative, but it helps us to understand that both babies in the womb are alive and coherent. And here's the interesting thing. Verse 41, it says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Now we know Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist. And so when, when Elizabeth hears that Mary is there, or here's the greeting of Mary. The baby acknowledges Mary and Jesus because now John the Baptist, the, in the infant form, is in the presence of God. So truly an amazing thing. And I think that an argument from a Christian to support abortion falls to shambles when you examine this verse and this passage because there has no grounds or no right for us to exterminate the life of an infant, no matter how young. And, and I will go to war with people over that topic. I do not believe it whatsoever. No Christian can ever possibly support abortion. You cannot be a Christian and support abortion. I'm sorry. If you do and you listen to the show, out, eh, not sorry. You can't. It just doesn't. It, it's like. Ah, you can be a Christian, but you can freely kill whatever you want or whoever you want. You can steal whenever you want. You can lie, cheat, and, and murder people, and you can break the laws, and you can dishonor God, and yet you'll still be a Christian. Now, I do want to say this. If you have committed any such sin in the past, 
uh, whether you've murdered somebody or you committed a heinous crime, you stole or you lied and cheated and, or as becoming quite popular in today's society, if you did have an abortion, the gospel is still good enough. It is still strong enough. It is still perfect enough that it will forgive you of your sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the promise that Christ gives you is that no amount of sin in your past cannot be forgiven. All of your sin will be forgiven as long as you believe. That and, and that, that summed up perfectly in, in, in Paul the Apostle, who was a murdering Jewish Pharisee, and yet Jesus comes to him and rescues him and saves him. That is a marvelous, marvelous thing. So I do fully believe that if you have, there is forgiveness at the cross. If you've committed any such crime, there is forgiveness at the cross. However, I don't believe going forward, you can support this and call yourself a Christian. I will argue that until the cows come home. So let's get into Luke uh, chapter 2. We finish actually chapter 1 here with the birth of John the Baptist in verses 57 through 66. And then we have Zechariah's prophecy in 67 through 80. Uh, interesting prophecy that's given to Zechariah in terms of John the Baptist. Rewind slightly back to verse 46 and we see Mary's praise, the magnificent. <clears throat> and, and interestingly enough, this is where Mary declares herself to need a savior. And uh, that will then dismantle the Catholic version that she was in, imperfect indefinitely. Or she was a perf- she was a perfect vessel for God to come to, but she was not perfect and sinless in nature. So, the birth of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all had to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town called Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, and to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, there came a time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So let's pause here for a few moments. We're look at these first seven verses of chapter two. And uh, let's, let's, let's break them up a little bit if we can. So we have this decree. Obviously, Matthew doesn't record any of this. But we have this decree sent out from, from Caesar to go into... Uh, to, to go out into the world and have everybody register for this uh, census to be taken. And so that's what it really kind of boils down to is this is a how many people, uh, how many citizens do we have under our ruling authority and how can we possibly tax them? That's really what this whole premise was from a political standpoint that's what happens with a quote-unquote registration. And that's what happens with the U.S. Census that goes out and registers how many people and it gets demographics of your household and all these other little uh, tidbits. And it's really just a means for the government to 
monitored citizens and tax all of those who are taxable. So for instance, like if they have a a million people registered as citizens, but yet they're only getting taxable income from like a thousand, that's a considerable issue for that government to have. And so this was a means that they can kind of tighten the hatches down a little bit. Completely off topic, but it's interesting when we start to understand kind of the political and, you know, humanist reasonings behind this. Now, there are many other theories and and other means by which uh, theologians have taken on this, but really from a simple perspective, this is what it was. Now, we can also go to the extent to say this was a a movement of God to uh, to draw Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem for the fulfillment of prophecy. So I think it's not a coincidence that Caesar decides to do this registration just before Jesus is born. I think there was divine intervention in this, and I believe that it all comes comes together in God's plan. So I think it's connected in that, and and from a outside of Christianity perspective, we we look at the political landscape of this, but it was heavily influenced and driven by God, so that Mary could have give birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. So, because that's where they had to right. This is the city of David, and because Joseph is of the lineage of David, that is where they are headed for this census, for this registration. So, and it states that they all had to be registered each to his own town. Now, obviously, they they lived in Nazareth, uh, which is in Galilee, but they weren't from that. And as it, as it notes, because of the lineage, we have to go all the way back in Jewish history to see how that all comes, comes together. And because... Joseph is of the lineage of David. He must travel to Bethlehem. And I think I did a sermon, a Christmas Eve sermon a couple years ago on this, like the process to travel. And it was considerable. It was quite a bit of distance that uh, Joseph and Mary have to travel. So to just jump on a map and look at it, it was about 90 miles for them to travel. This may not seem like a daunting task, as if we were to just walk it, it would take us north of 30 hours. We could pro- we could do it in two days if we, you know, really very sparingly rest. But, you know, a couple days travel would be appropriate. And especially if you're in a caravan, you would travel that distance and you would pause after probably six or eight hours. So it would take you three or four days to, to go through the whole, the whole distance. Now, imagine being eight months pregnant and having to walk 90 miles. And and I remember both times that my wife was pregnant at eight months, she didn't want to walk 20 feet. And, uh, and so I get it. That is a daunting task. And, and we could equate her to be about probably even closer to nine to nine and a half months pregnant because it's almost as soon as they get to Bethlehem that she has Jesus. There is no time Lapse here that is being addressed it is simply this in verse five to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. We know she's pregnant, right? And then they were, th- and then while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. We verse five to verse six. We don't have a time frame, you know, being given by Scripture. 
And whether that was a week, a month, or 12 hours. Now, most stories will will give you like a, they, they arrived in the evening. There was no room for them in the end. For, in the end and so they go into a manger and that is where Jesus is born later that night. So that's kind of how a lot of the stories take on this passage. But we could say that this was probably done over the course of a week or two. And even in that, she's still nine and a half months pregnant. So imagine leaving at eight and a half to nine months pregnant and traveling 90 miles just to find out you don't have any room in the end. Now, there's a reason because this registration was taking place and there were many other uh, things happening in the time period which would cause you know there there to be no room in the inn. And then to provide a little more context, the inn is not like a hotel that we know today that are strummed across our interstates. It's not the Motel 6 or ho- you know whatever that place is called. It's not a Red Roof Inn or a Hilton or a Best Western or any of that. No. These were basically uh, houses that had an extra room for travelers. And this would have been a common thing in these towns in this time period that they would have an extra room and or, or even maybe a couple extra rooms that people who traveled through the town could stay at for a short, brief time period. So when it says that there's no room for them in the end, basically it's just telling you, that there's no people left in Bethlehem that had spare rooms for them to stay in. And then we go kind of just rewind slightly back to laying him in the manger. So he's he's born in verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. This is a sign of a tender care. Babies were washed, rubbed with salt and possibly olive oil, and then they were wrapped. And this is a throwing back to Ezekiel 16 verse 4. When Ezekiel writes, and as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to change you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. So different, you know, different framing of what's going on in Ezekiel 16 verse four, but it's showing that those were common practices for uh, newborns. And so Jesus is cleaned. He's rubbed with salt and possibly olive oil, and then he's gently wrapped in these swaddling clothes. The cloths of strips, uh, the strips of cloth were wrapped tightly around the infants to warm and secure them. Obviously here, they don't have, uh, you know, blankets and and comfortable beds and anything that would, uh, you know, modern hospitals would have. So when my son and my daughter were both born, they were both full term, so they didn't have to put them in the NICU or anything like that. But I, when I worked at a hospital working in IT, I had to occasionally go into the NICU and replace computer hardware. And when you walk in there, it's a dark room, generally very you know low-lit lighting, and they would have babies in these essentially you know tubes, and they would be connected to breathing apparatuses, and they'd have all these things connected to the child to ensure that they could monitor every vital sign for that, that infant. And they were usually in like these boxes would be heated, you know, at a, at a, at appropriate temperature for the child. And that is how we have been able to manage this massive 
change of pace from infant mortality some years back to where we can save most babies born prematurely. And there's obviously one-offs and things that are tragic and, and unfortunate that happen. But for a baby who's prematurely birthed, that doesn't mean that the the baby won't survive at all in today's world. All of that to say, when Jesus is born in this time period in Galilee, it was probably a chilly night and he needed to stay warm as all babies do. And so they wrap him in these clothes and they, you know, whether it was a cloth strip or a swaddling cloth or whatever that he he's wrapped up in these cloths and he's laid in a manger because there was no room in the end. So the manger is again, another piece that people have argued over time, not necessarily a, a particular barn per se. Um, but there is theories or understandings that it may have been more of a, a cave like structure um, than instead of like the traditional wooden barn frame. However, what is commonly accepted is that there were animals present. And so there would have been straw and things like that that would have been, you know, laid down for him to lay upon. And then the animals were there. So that's a common accepted belief amongst theologians. It's just the structuring of that manger, which is differ, uh, which would differ from person to person. Some, again, say it's a stable, like, you know, the wooden structure, like that's um, three quarters closed. And then it's got the big opening on one side. Uh, That's kind of the if you had the nativity scene, that's the standard staple item. But then there's others who think, well, you know, it could have been a cave or it could have been like a side in the hill, you know, that that provided the animals shelter from the elements and during the cold seasons provided them warmth and allowed the uh, person, the landowner to manage their their uh, livestock without difficulty. So that's kind of the, you know, interesting tidbit there. So moving on, we're going to blast past this time period today, the 32 minute mark already 33, and we're going to carry on. I want to hammer through this topic because there's just so much here and I love and find this to be absolutely fascinating. The shepherds and the angels. So we now move into verse eight and we go here and in the same region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over the flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this very thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child and all that had heard it wondered at the at what the shepherds told him. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen. And 
as that had been told to them. At the end of the eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right. So there's a few things happening uh, that we have to kind of understand and take place here. We have not quite gotten to Matthew chapter two, where we have the visit from the wise men. So that will be next week's episode as we'll kind of wrap this little short series on the birth of Jesus. So next week we'll look at uh, the, uh, the the wise men traveling and we'll, we'll dig into some of that history there. But for this right now, we focus on the shepherds. And, and I did a whole Christmas Eve service last year kind of on that perspective of the shepherds. Like being in the field, it was probably a chilly night and you you did this day and night. You worked around the clock most of the time with very little sleep because your job was to manage these herds of sheep. And there would probably be a, a group of them, as it says there were shepherds in the field. And so there, there could have been, you know, three or four or five shepherds watching these various flocks. And they all kind of come together and chat and, and uh, keep each other company through the night as their sheep, you know, either graze or, or sleep in the fields. And so as we, we understand kind of the, the limited scope, you know, this could have been in a region just outside of Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem and it could have been just a, a couple of shepherds. It could have been, a, you know, maybe a small group, but it doesn't tell us in the text, just says there were shepherds in the field. So then this angel appears to them and brings them this wonderful news. And as always, when an angel of the Lord appears, they, they, the shepherds are fearful. They're filled with great fear. But the shepherds tell them, fear not, for our behold, I bring good news of great joy. Here's, here's an interesting word. That will be for all the people. Now, we can argue um, how the word all is applied here. Is it just all of the elect? Is it all of, you know, God's people predestined? Is it all people across all time? Or is it all people in the Roman Empire? Or is it just all people that would be from the Jewish nation? There are limitations that we can place upon the word, but generally all means all. And we we aren't given a, a, a linear scope, whereas like in Matthew, we see that, it, that Jesus will be uh, named this because he will save his people. So this joy will be for all people, but Jesus will only save his people. So that's why the death is viewed from the Lutheran perspective as being an, a, a, a cascading effect over, over all sin, all people, all time. However, only those whom God has decided to give grace and faith to will be saved. He says, the angels go on to say this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, when I read 11 earlier, I, I said, uh, for unto you this day was born. I've seen it translated either way. I'm just reading the ESV, and, and, I, and I moved the word birth behind the word day. But either side of it still makes uh, the sentence true, because now we have Christ the Savior in the city of David, a Savior born, just a marvelous feat to take place. And so these angels gather up and they they carry over to Bethlehem. We don't know if they take their flocks or if they leave them. They just say, hey, let's go here and see what has happened. And then they go there and they're 
probably, you know, all of them talking all at one time to Mary and Joseph and they're just, you know, in shell shock. And again, we don't know if Mary and Joseph may have had uh, a couple other people there at that time, or if, you know, some people from the inn who knew Joseph, some family members may have came down and uh, were conversing with them because it tells us, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. They don't say anything else, but anybody, but here's an interesting thing. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So all would imply more people than just Joseph and Mary. Again, not necessarily crucial to the text, but it's an interesting thing for us to look at because there could have been more people present now that Jesus had been born. There could have been people from the surrounding town, people from the Joseph or Mary's family present there to marvel at this new life. So now we have these shepherds who are just proclaiming this and they, all the people who heard it marveled, they wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But verse 19 tells us, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart over and over and over again. And again, it's interesting because we, we, you know, if we were to carry on with Luke, we get to where Luke will be uh, lost in a temple or lost in Jerusalem, but found in the temple. And it, it, what, what I really find to be fascinating about all this is how it almost feels like Mary has forgotten what the angel had spoken to her because Jesus confronts her with, why do you seek me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And so that's carrying on through the rest of Luke chapter two, which we will not be digging into just yet. We'll, we'll, we'll go through Luke eventually, but for the most part, by and large, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Matthew next week, looking at the wise men, which will finish up our, uh, the birth of Jesus. And then we will carry on into his early ministry. So we'll, we'll see the wise men in the flight to Egypt and then we will see the command from Herod to kill these children. Uh, and then we'll see the return to Nazareth next week. And then the following, we will get into John the Baptist preparing the way. And we'll have a whole plethora of fascinating doctrine. Again, I'm not in any hurry to finish Matthew. I really want to camp here and just unpack this and dig into it. So that's the episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in this week. I hope you have enjoyed it. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, if you do please share it because that's the easiest way we can grow this podcast and grow this platform. And, and I hope you uh, are finding this edifying. So share it out and we will do our best to continue bringing you great content every Friday until then, ladies and gentlemen, have a great week. God bless. Get to church on Sunday. We'll see you later.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.